Chapter 7 of The Treasury of Heroes and Heroines by Clayton Edwards. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eden Ray Hedrick. The Treasury of Heroes and Heroines by Clayton Edwards. Chapter 7 Robin Hood. When the wicked John tried to sway England, many honest men turned outlaws rather than obey or suffer his evil rule. For John and his noblemen tortured and oppressed the poor, driving them from house and hearth to make hunting ground, and taxing them so heavily that they frequently starved to death. Forests were plentiful in England in those days, but John often tore down houses of his subjects to make the forests even greater, so that he might have more sport in hunting the deer and the boar that ran wild there. And while he did not scruple to take the peasant's land for such a purpose, it was a terrible crime for a peasant to shoot a deer that often fed upon his crops. Even were he starving, he might not slay a deer in his own yard, and if he so transgressed, he was punished with the most inhuman cruelty. Now, as it has been said, many men were too high-spirited to suffer the injustice that John laid upon them. They fled into the forests instead, and formed armed bands, setting upon travellers and robbing them of their goods and they lived by shooting the king's deer and whatever game they could catch and kill. Among these men was an outlaw called Robin Hood, whose fame was known throughout the length and breadth of England. Although many men-at-arms had pursued him, they never could catch him, and his daring surpassed belief. He surrounded himself with the bravest and boldest young men in all England, and if he encountered any stout-hearted man among those whom he robbed, or even among those that the sheriff sent to pursue him, that man was often added to his band of outlaws. Robin Hood became an outlaw through no fault of his own, but through the common injustice of the day. When he was a very young man, he was journeying to the town of Nottingham, where the sheriff had prepared a bout in archery, and had promised a butt of ale to whatever man should draw the best bow, and shoot the most skilful arrow. As Robin Hood was passing through the forest on his way to Nottingham, he met a group of the king's foresters, who were there to see that nobody transgressed the laws, and they made fun of his beardless face and boyish figure, still more of the bow he carried since they knew he was on his way to shoot at Nottingham, and they did not believe that such a youth could ever hope to gain the prize. After bearing their jests for a time, Robin became angry, and challenged any one of them to test his skill with the bow. They replied that he did but boast, for they had no target. And then, looking down the glade, Robin espied a herd of the king's deer a great distance away, and he cried, "'Look you now! If you think I am no archer, I shall slay the noblest of that herd at a single shot, and I'll wager twenty marks upon it into the bargain.' Done, cried one of the foresters, whereupon Robin laid an arrow to his bow and shot so cleverly that the deer lay dead in its tracks. The foresters were greatly angered that he had succeeded, and not only refused to pay him, but when he set forth again one of them sprang to his feet and sent an arrow after him, whereupon Robin turned like a flash and made even a better shot than his first one, for the fellow who had loosed his bow upon him lay dead on the greensward with an arrow in his heart. The king's foresters could not be slain with impunity in those days, and Robin was made an outlaw not only because he had slain his man, but because he had killed the king's deer, and in such a way it came to pass that he gathered a band of followers about him in Sherwood Forest, and his fame as an outlaw soon became known throughout the land. But although Robin Hood was a robber, the common people soon learned to love him, for no poor man was ever the poorer on account of his outlawry. Rather were the country folk in the neighborhood of Sherwood Forest better off than before, because he made it a point of honor to rob the rich only to bestow large gifts upon the poor 
and many a present of food and gold was brought by him to the starving serfs and humble people in the neighborhood. Now, the sheriff of Nottingham was eager for the king's favor, and the deeds of Robin Hood were soon brought to his notice. He sought more than once to capture the bold outlaw, but always failed, and he was so clumsy and so cowardly that Robin Hood became emboldened to defy him openly, and entered the town of Nottingham under his very eyes. On one occasion an outlaw who had been taken by the sheriff was rescued by Robin from a formidable array of men-at-arms just as the hangman was about to string him up on the gallows. There are so many tales about Robin Hood that it would be impossible to tell them all here, and one or two will have to suffice, to show what manner of life he led, and what sort of men his followers were. One of these was called Little John, because he was seven feet tall and broad to match, and in all England there could scarce be found his equal with the cudgel. Another was a great brawny priest of a friar, who loved his wine better than prayers, and believed a pasty made of the king's deer was better for the heart than any amount of fasting. This jovial priest was named Friar Tuck, and took upon himself the task of looking after the spiritual welfare of Robin's band, which he accomplished more by a free use of his cudgel on the heads of the offenders than by prayer or divine exhortation. But of all the men in the band, Will Scarlet was the strongest. Will Scarlet came among Robin's outlaws in a curious manner. One day, when Robin and Little John were strolling through the woods, they saw a stranger sauntering down a road, and he was clad in the most brilliant manner imaginable, in rosy scarlet from head to heel. He seemed a very ladylike kind of person, and carried in his hand a rose, of which she smelled now and then, as he walked along, and he sang a little song that sounded for all the world as though it were being sung by a girl in her teens. And Robin's gorge rose at the sight of him, for he hated unmanliness and thought that this gaily-clad lady-like fellow who seemed to turn up his nose at the ground he walked upon must be a courtier, or some nobleman that had never done an honest day's work or robbery in his life. "'When he comes nearer,' said Robin to Little John, "'I'll show him that there be some honest folk abroad who are not afraid to earn their living, for by my faith I'll take his purse and use the gold therein to far better advantage than he could do.' So, when the young man approached, Robin stepped out into the path to meet him with his trusty cudgel in his hand. The young man, however, seemed in no way to be afraid of the bold and resolute outlaw who stood in front of him, and when Robin demanded his purse he smiled, and said it would be better to fight for that article, and the better man should have it. Whereupon he went to the side of the road, still humming his snatch of a tune, and, to the amazement of Robin and Little John, laid hold of a young oak tree and tore it up by the roots, with apparently but little exertion of his strength. Then, trimming off the branches, he stood on guard. Robin was warned by this exhibition of power, and approached him warily but the stranger struck with such force that nobody could stand up to him, and although Robin put up a long and furious fight, his guard was at last beaten down, and he was knocked senseless to the ground. With an aching head, but with admiration of the strange young man in his heart, Robin asked him to join his band, promising him food, booty, and good Lincoln Green to wear, and the stranger, after learning who Robin was, disclosed himself as no other than Robin's own nephew, Will Scarlet, whom the outlaw had not seen since he was a baby. Delighted at the meeting, Will Scarlet, Little John, and Robin Hood made haste to join the rest of the band beneath the greenwood tree, where a feast was set forth and good brown ale poured out in honour of the newcomer. On another occasion, Robin and his band married two lovers who had been forced to part because the maiden's father had determined that she was to become the bride of a wicked but wealthy old nobleman. The outlaws surrounded the chapel in which the wedding was to take place, and when the ceremony was begun, Robin stepped between the bride and groom and declared that the ceremony could not continue. When the wedding guests learned that it was indeed Robin Hood that stood before them, they were greatly frightened, and the outlaws with drawn weapons made their appearance among them. Friar Tuck himself finished the wedding, only this time a different groom was substituted, and one more after the maiden's heart, for they gave her the man she loved. There are many tales about the English King Richard, 
the lion-hearted, and none is more interesting than that of his meeting with Robin Hood in Sherwood Forest. King Richard was the brother of the base-hearted John, who tried to steal the throne from him when he was imprisoned on the continent after the Crusades. But Richard won back his kingdom and pardoned his brother, and later on John regained the English throne. Richard travelled a great deal in England, and in the course of his journeying came to Nottingham, which was near the woodland retreat of Robin Hood. Now, although Robin Hood was an outlaw, and had transgressed the king's laws, Richard held something approaching admiration for him, because Robin's adventures greatly resembled his own, when he had been wandering as a knight-errant, without a kingdom. So Richard told the sheriff of Nottingham that he himself would do what the sheriff had so often tried to do and always failed in, namely, drive Robin Hood's band away from the woods. And with some followers he disguised himself as a monk, and started across the forest, hoping that Robin Hood and his outlaws would fall upon him and attempt to rob him. This is just what happened. The outlaws fell on Richard and took him prisoner, and after taking his purse, they led him to their secluded hiding-place, and set before him a feast of meat and wine, a custom of theirs whenever they robbed a worthy monk or priest, to remove some of the sting from the consciousness of his loss. "'I have heard,' said the supposed monk, after he had eaten and drunk his fill, "'that you have good archers in your band. I feign to see some of them at work.' In answer, Robin called for his men to set up a mock, telling them that they must shoot to good purpose, for he that missed, were it only by a hair, should be knocked down by Will Scarlet. One after one of the outlaws shot, and they all struck the mark. But when Robin himself shot, something happened that his band had never before seen, for a gust of wind blew his arrow aside, and he himself, who was the finest bowman in England, had missed the target. With shouts of delight, the outlaws called upon their leader to pay the penalty. Robin disliked to do this, for he was the leader of the others, and did not think it good for discipline that his men should behold their leader undergo such an indignity. However, he ended the matter by asking the monk, who was Richard, to administer his punishment himself, since he could take from a member of the church what he could not take from one of his own band. Richard consented gladly. He had always loved such adventures, and the strength of his arm was twice that of Will Scarlet's, for the English king was the strongest man in all Christendom, if not in the entire world. Rising to his feet, he drew back his heavy fist, and gave Robin so terrible a buffet that it hurled him senseless to the ground, doubly stunned from the force with which he had hit the earth. The outlaws were amazed when they saw what had befallen their leader, still more so when a band of the king's horsemen rode up and surrounded them, and called the monk who had so lately been feasting with them, Your Majesty. Then Richard took off his monk's dress, and appeared in his own royal garments. He gave the outlaws a free pardon, on condition that they serve with him henceforth and be archers in his army, for he ever had liked brave men, and he knew that these would lay down their lives to serve him, even if they did cut purses and rob priests in the seclusion of the woods. In Richard's service many adventures befell Robin Hood, even greater than what had befallen him in Sherwood Forest. He returned to his old haunts, however, and again became an outlaw when King Richard died and the wicked John came to the throne once more. One day Robin Hood was stricken with a fever, and he went to a woman who lived nearby to be bled, which he believed would lessen his pain and cure his sickness. But this woman was an enemy of Robin's, although he knew it not, and she rejoiced at her chance to do him evil. So she opened a vein in his arm, and gave him a drink that threw him into a deep slumber, and when he awoke he saw that he had lost so much blood that he had not long to live. With the last of his strength the dying outlaw blew his horn, that called his followers around him, and as they supported him he asked for his bow and an arrow, saying that where the arrow fell he desired to be buried. Bending the bow with the last of his power, he let loose the arrow, which flew out of the window, and struck the ground beside a little path at the edge of the greenwood. And here was laid to rest the bravest heart that England had known for many a day, and one whose fame has lived to the present time. For if we should tell you all the adventures of Robin Hood, there would be no room left for any other tales. So our counsel is, to find books about him, 
and read these adventures for yourself. End of chapter 7